Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. With over 1 billion, with a B, in claims paid, Trupanion has you covered. Whether you're a dedicated breeder, a loving owner, or both. Trupanion is also the first pet insurance provider to offer a special breeding rider that you can add to your coverage. That way, you know your dogs are covered from common health concerns associated with breeding and whelping, like emergency C-sections, for example. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I am super excited. This is the first part of a two-part episode. I'm going to be talking today with Wayne Cavanaugh. Wayne has been around purebred dogs and the sport of purebred dogs as long as I can remember. And I'm old. So So does that mean, Wayne? Does that mean you're older than me? Is that it? Well, I think we just have a lot of years. Is that it? Okay, good. We're going to go with the maturity angle, I think. (laughs) No, get old, never mature. (laughs) My grandfather did this, my father too. So I had no choice. (laughs) I had no choice. So tell us about it. This is such a fabulous and fascinating story, and I really want my listeners to hear it. Give us your background. Oh, goodness. It's so complicated. I hate when people ask on the plane, what do you do for a living? I'm like, we're not going around the world a few times, are you? I was born into the sport. My grandfather came over from Ireland, and he had some carries. And he had somehow ended up at the chow as well, but mostly carries. It wasn't that time of the world where you were worried more about eating and getting by and wars. Right. But he stayed involved and my dad picked it up in beagles. You know, being Irish, we have to have our own breed. We're not taking what our dad has. Yes. So my father started in beagles, which is where I came in. And there's a debate whether I was six or eight when I first finished my first beagle. But we do know one thing. It probably was because there are a lot of people of profile that walked me up to the ring and guided me in with a beagle. I felt like I was full of talent. <laughs> right, right. They all just stood outside the mm, ring like this folded. with their yeah. arms yeah. crossed. Yes, right. no, I'm familiar with that. <laughs> yes, yeah. You know, and junior showmanship, of course, I did too, but I really preferred the breed ring. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that competition. And as soon as I was able to reach both ends, I decided an English setter would be fancier for junior showmanship than a beagle. And I started, my dad helped me get going in English setters. And then as life went on, I was working for the Forsyths. I've skipped so much. <laughs> it's okay. You know, we don't have around the world in no, 80 days. We don't. So I'm saying. <laughs> so I went to work for Bob and Jane. They had just bought a beagle from my father for Bob to show. Valdez Harold's Prince Charles, I think he was. And that's why I got to meet Bob. I was very young. And they hired me to work there. It was an experience of a lifetime. No one can explain it unless you've been there. And plenty have. But, you know, 100 dogs in the kennel. All of them are the best ones. (laughs) We got the best ones. And you worked really hard and you didn't mind. The education was unbelievable. Seeing 
good dogs, working with them is so important. If you can't really form a template in your head without seeing real good ones, and we had real good ones. We'd win all six groups. There were only six back then, of course. It wouldn't be unusual to do so. But it was a great experience, not only in dogs, but in life. Janie was wonderful with, well, I guess you could say she was cautious with her dollars. Yes. You may have heard some thrifty stories. Together, they were quite a team, and it was really beautiful to watch them work together. And then from there, I told Bob that I wanted to go back to college. He chased me around the kennel for a while. I'm not sure if he caught me what might happen, but I can tell you that he wasn't full of pleasure. (laughs) Anytime you have good help and they decide to move on, you know, one of my favorite assistants of all times decided that after working for me for 12 years that going into the Marines looked like a good choice. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You're killing me here. <laughs> well, it happens. Mm. But Janie was fine. And I did commit to working weekends for them. So I would continue to do that. And in the summers, of course, I'd work for them. And then I went back full time again. But we had just a wonderful time together and a great crew, great clients too. You know, Mrs. Porter and all those, just the classic old patrons you just don't have today. Amazing, wonderful stories there. And then I went to work. I did that work thing. I was working for AT&T and writing articles for dog news. And I did that for many years, once a week. And I don't know how I did it because I don't have a good idea once a week anymore. I don't think I have one once a year anymore, but for some reason. (laughs) I understand that feeling so much. I feel that. So I was writing and, and I had my support and congratulations and also some constructive criticism for the AKC. And one day I got a phone call. Oh, I had applied to judge and got approved to judge. I think it was six breeds. During this whole process, I got a call from Bob Maxwell, who was the president then. And he said, we would like to see you up in the office. And I thought, what did I do? <laughs> there had to be something. I wrote something. It's like getting called to the principal's office. Yeah, it's oh not my God. Good. It's not good. But as a country boy at that point, I feel it when I think about how young I was when I walked in that building. I drove to New York City. I thought that would be a really good idea. You know, we were an hour away. And you live in Michigan. So. No, no, we were in New Jersey. So we took the train. Yeah, oh, okay. It was a short okay. train. Right. But I thought it'd be a good idea to drive. And I didn't know how to get there or park or anything. It was a disaster. But I walked upstairs in the big New York Life building. And I walked into Bob's office. And sitting there was Lou Oslander. And Lou turned around and said, I have shirts older than you. <laughs> and I thought, this might not work out. <laughs> this may not end well. But they hired me anyway as director of communications. And just a few months later, I was elected vice president of communications. And it was a great time. Terry Stacy was there. Bob Maxwell was sensational to work with. Mm-hmm. John Mandeville was great to work with. Sam Perry was the attorney. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. And we just had a good crew. And there were dog people there. Maribeth was there. Ron right. Morello. Right. Yeah. Was, dog people. Wonderful. Dog and people I hired a few more. I hired Dave Roberts and Mark Threlfall. And we really had a good crew. And, you know, Maribeth has such a great history in the sport. And she was such a wonderful person to be able to talk to and share this. We were in juniors together. So, right. Maribeth is, she is my queen. I think she, she is, is amazing. To be there with that crew was really, it was wonderful. And the board members were, as my friend Bob Blaise to say, those are people of substance. 
And they were. Yes. And it was a wonderful opportunity to learn from them as well. So now back then, there were only men officers. And we had our horseshoe. Yes. And I'm trying to think, this is... 90. Yeah. Okay. Be about right. 90. I was going to yeah. say late 80s. Or okay, 90. Yeah. Okay. 89, 90. And I recall vividly thinking, wow, we have a, it's a horseshoe of offices with solid walnut walls and art that you could, you know, well, as Billy Secords ended up with a lot of it, it was just, right. you know, it was all loaned and it was just unbelievable. But you had these offices and across from you was a secretary. So you had your office and right across was a smaller office with your secretary. And they'd come in and read you your mail in the morning, and <laughs> dictate back. No. That lasted about two minutes for me. I'm like, give me the damn letter. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was great. It was so old school. Oh. So old school. It's one of the things that I have always thought about the American Kennel Club. They always are about 50 years behind everything else. At least. And the best determining factor of that moment was there was one restroom. And it was a man's restroom. Yes. And it had a shoe polisher in there. I like that shoe polisher so much that I have one today that looks just like it. <laughs> so this is a shoe polisher on the floor, not the an floor. actual human polishing no, your no, shoes. No, 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 no. We didn't. Well, probably before I got there. I don't know. But there was a wonderful man who walked around all day with a paintbrush and a can of paint just touching up every single mark on the wall. Oh, my gosh. The nicest man. So he could do anything. But anyway, we had these secretaries. They were all women, of course. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't use that bathroom. So they had to go downstairs the floor to use the bathroom. Well, that kind of got to be an issue when Judy Daniels got elected president. <laughs> right. I was going to say, that didn't end well. The jackhammers came mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's now a women's bathroom. But when you think about that wasn't a hundred years ago. No, it really wasn't. That's why I was asking you to date it because yeah. I didn't want to say, because I couldn't remember for sure. Well, Judy came on, I was there for seven years and I think I had six presidents. It was just one of those times yeah. turning over. Yeah. But Judy was probably there maybe 92, 93. Mm-hmm. And I got there right in the beginning of 1990. So she came in and things changed for me. But I had Bob Maxwell. We had Judy. We had Al Sheree. <laughs> and then there were acting presidents. Yes. David Merriam was one. He was the yes. chairman of the board. And during a transition, he we did a wonderful conversation with oh, him not too yeah, long ago. Just, he was fascinating. Uh, I mean, such wonderful. You can talk to him about things besides dogs. And that's always yes. refreshing to me. Yes. But Walter Goodman was on the board then and he would come in mm-hmm. and use my office on breaks to trade stocks. You know, <laughs> it was just classic. There was everything but cigars. Right. But it was a wonderful time. And I learned so much there. Jim Crowley was there then the secretary for a million years. And mm-hmm. we just got along really well, all of us. The tenor was good. We were able to come up with ideas and bring them to Bob. and. Bob wanted to take no credit for anything. He was a humble man. Mm. He wanted us to succeed. He gave you whatever you needed. If you had an idea for another department, well, that got done. So we really had a great time. You know, I expanded the public education department, the Canada legislation department. Right. And then together with a few others, got the Canada Health Foundation rolling with Bob Rizzo being the lead person. Right. But John Manville and I were charter board members of that. And proudly so. It was a good time to be there. You know, there was change. There was willingness to change. And Terry Stacy, bless his heart, dear friend, sharp, sharp mind and creative, just creative. And he and I and Mandeville would sit around in the mornings and come up with these ideas. And, and Bob would say, run with it. 
And we changed things. A lot got done. We're very proud of it. But more important, we learned a lot from each other. We had so many good... And Jim Edwards came on, who became my best friend in the whole wide world. And Jim and I traveled the world, and I miss him every day. Yeah. But his knowledge was unstoppable. And from there, I was making some money, and I thought, my goodness, what do I do with this? So I got a job. I just figured I'd start working on Wall Street because I'm an English major, so perfect fit. Perfect. And somehow I got hired by a really good company, (laughs) Schaefer Cohen, high net worth individuals. And one of my first accounts was they sent me to the Irish Catholic Diocese of New York. And I thought, why are you sending me? I don't have any. Oh, I see. (laughs) (laughs) Landed my first account like that. Not a problem. (laughs) And United States Tennis Association. We just had, it was a good run there, but it wasn't for me. Right. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Discover your dog's genetic health, optimize your breeding decisions, and identify your puppy's genetic profiles before they go to their new homes. All of that with Embark for Breeders Dog DNA Kits. As the highest rated dog DNA kit on the market, Embark has you covered with exclusive breeder tools. Embark offers the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding tests available, as well as OFA submission reports. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. And use code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders, code PUREDOGTALK. They're world-class scientists and veterinary geneticists are standing by. Now, during this whole time, even including when I was at the AKC, I was working for Animal Planet and NBC Sports and a couple others. Mm-hmm. So when I was working at Schaefer Cullen, I told them, hey, I've got this other gig. So that was not a problem. And I would go from that office. We moved up to Rockefeller Plaza where all the trading was done downtown and the Onassis building, cool place. But it was also not too far from Transworld International, which is a giant company that represents major athletes and everything to do with television rights. And they hired me to create shows for Animal Planet. And they gave me an office. So I'd stop from Schaefer Cullen there and come up with a show. And I met my buddy, Will Schwarz there, and we brainstormed together and took on a project called Breed All About It, which went into syndication for, I think, 17 years. It was just crazy. We had a wonderful time doing those. So at that point, I didn't hate Schaefer Cullen, loved those people. But the subway and the whole greed thing just was not me at all. Yeah. So I quit everything and I was writing Breed All About It then once a week. Mm-hmm. So that's all I needed to do. And I got home and it was summertime and we lived at Jersey Shore. And I'd finished writing that episode. My wife was getting ready to take the kids to the beach club that we belonged to. So I jumped up and I started to, and she was, where, where are you going? And I said, to the beach, to the beach club. And she said, no, the husbands come on weekends. We, we, you're not allowed. <laughs> You're not allowed. I love them. <laughs> they sit in little circles like quail, babies in the middle, and have a wonderful yes. time. 
And she met so many great people. Anyway, we would take the high-speed hydrofoil from Beach in New Jersey past the Statue of Liberty to the World Trade Center, and the cars would bring us up. So it was a great thing, but I was done. Mm -hmm. So I was writing for Animal Planet. And after about six months of that, Cheryl's like, you know, is there any jobs out of the house you might be interested in? (laughs) You know, after the pandemic, I think there's an entire world that can appreciate Cheryl's concept. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So with that, I got a call from Connie Miller, Connie Gerster Miller. I've known her forever. And she said, hey, you know, I'm out here in in Kalamazoo. And Kalamazoo, I'm sure exists. But when you're in New York City, Nothing this exists, is so true. Right? This is an issue with the AKC, too. Yes. We didn't know we were being this way. The East Coast exists. California exists. But there's MI states in the middle. So I knew nothing. And only California exists. That's right. Only California. Sort of. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. The Northwest. Eh, but eh. Pacific Northwest, maybe. But no. not really. It's California. So, Calamo, what? I, no, I'm, I'm good. And then Fred called. She was married to Fred Miller. And I knew Fred from canine legislation working as a lobbyist. Jim Holt was our lobbyist. Mm -hmm. And I was working with him, going to the Capitol and talking to these people about legislation. And Fred was always there because he was fighting pit bull laws. And Fred was very involved in pit bulls and American pit bull terriers specifically. Mm -hmm. So I knew him and we'd actually argued cases and, you know, did our contributions of speaking during the argument of cases for laws in Pennsylvania and other places. And that's all I knew of him. And he called and said, Wayne, I want you to come out and run this. And I said, this is United Kennel Club. I said, well, I guess Cheryl would like that. (laughs) (laughs) Cheryl says, I'll stay in New Jersey. You have fun in Calama, whatever. (laughs) Exactly. So I said, no, thank you. I'm just not interested. And he kept calling. And finally, Connie called and said, come on. Just fly out here and talk to him. Fred's not well. He was very old and he had diabetes and a lot of health issues, but sharp and just, he was Walter Cronkite. He sounded like him and looked like him and he had a presence, you know. So I came out and it's a very long story that I don't want to get into about how that all worked, but he hired me right away. Everybody's trying to buy the UKC. And I just said, I'm sorry, I got loyalty to this man here. And, And I walked away from some good stuff that would have killed me at the end of the day. So happily, I worked there and Fred passed not too much longer after that. And he told me that, you know, I had first shot of buying the UKC from him. So I was a couple of mil short, but <laughs> never stopped me. <laughs> this is where that Wall Street thing is going to come in, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And I was able to talk to every bank in town and they would go, what's your inventory? I'm like, oh, we've got names of dogs. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> How many? Oh, hundreds of years of them. That's very nice. It's very nice you've got. <laughs> Do you have anything else? No, we have names of dogs as well. <laughs> so it took me quite a while until I pitched to this one bank and they were great. And I had two partners that I'd met there and we exchanged some real estate ideas and interests downtown, fixing up old buildings, repairing old office buildings. And I own like five bricks in the corner in the beginning, but we were partners. And it was great. It was really a great team. They've now gone on to be giant developers. No interest for me in that. But we had a great run, 15 years. And funnily enough, we had offers all the time. I would constantly get offers. And none of it interested me because we were doing so many cool things there. Mm -hmm. So we worked real hard. And I brought Mark there too, Mark Darrell Fall. 
Tony Vaca was there, great dog man. Yep. We just had a real good crew. I had a lot of good hound guys from the hunting side as well. And it was a delightful time. I had this kennel club with no board, no delegates, just a benevolent dictator, me. It was perfect. This sounds like heaven. I mean, come on. (laughs) So I can tell you one story that defines how it went. Connie had started this thing called Total Dog. I would love for you to talk about that because to me, we can all nitpick at everybody. Yeah. But one of the things that I believe could be sucked over to the AKC is this concept. Well, they stole about 5 million other concepts from me. I'm saying, unabashedly. trust me, I live this, okay? So yeah. Reserve like- best in show, grand champion, three levels yeah. of register. I mean, every day it was the compliment, you know? What is it they say? Mimicry is the best form of flattery yes. or something like that. And really, I truly, mm-hmm. I was more than willing to share. And mm-hmm. I always wanted the AKC to succeed in whatever I could do. We needed them. The sport needs them. Absolutely. I needed them at the UKC. So it really was fine. But it was always funny. Mm-hmm. They didn't even wait. No. And they always did it a little wrong. Like, <laughs> you know, like the grand champion. I'm like, you don't want to put the date on the ribbons because you're going to cost the clubs a fortune totally. for stuff that they can't award. And then you're going to be stuck. But you know, it took them a while. Anyway, the total dog thing was so new. Connie had just started it. And again, give me a time frame. This is early 2000? Very early 2000s, like 2001. Yeah. I got here in 99. Right. That's kind of what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah. Connie was still there for a year. So I got there in 99. Mm-hmm. And then I had to buy it. And then Fred passed. Right. And right. Connie retired. But this premiere show that Connie had started all by herself, that's why Fred really hired her in the first place and, mm-hmm. and then married her. But- <laughs> It was a great start for a dog show. It was only a few hundred entries. And we brought it up to 8,000 entries over the week. That's not dog, that's entries. That's entries. But that includes, talk about the premiere. I mean, a lot of my listeners go both ways, if you will. Yeah, I understand. (laughs) But not everybody does. So explain the premiere and the total dog. I just think it is such an amazing concept. This is the best part of being a benevolent dictator. I have to listen to delegates and board members. (laughs) I like to do things on the spontaneous, you know, a little bit. And every year, right before Best in Show, all the dogs that competed and had a successful score in any of the performance events and qualified in the breed ring came into the ring and I gave them a prize and a rosette. We'd have a microphone and we'd talk about them because there was a good 20, 25 of them that could actually do all that. Right. Well, didn't take long. Over a few years, it got so big that the first couple of years, if you participated and tried, you get to come into this ring and get something. Mm-hmm. And then it got to be too crowded. So we had to do qualifiers only. So one year, it's an enormous ring. And we probably had 50 or 60 qualifiers that all did everything they needed to do. And Mark Truffle was, was with me then. And I had the microphone. I'm handing out the stuff. And I said, hey, anybody want to have a dog show? So I said, okay, all the hounds over that ring. <laughs> and we decided, well, the first year, let's just do all one group. So we sort of separated the dogs in the ring, but we just presented best in show and reserved best in show. And everybody loved it. So I said, okay, next year, we're going to have groups. And there's five or six dogs in each group. Now, the total dog groups are as big as the regular groups. Right. So instead of having, we have two concurrent shows. Somebody else does that now. Imagine that. Thing, yeah. 
so we had, we had the owner hand the owner handler groups was with me. We had the total dog groups and the regular groups, and then the two different best in shows. The total dog trophies and rosettes were always a little bit bigger than the regular ones. I insisted on that. The trophy would be a little bit bigger. And it was just such a great thing. These dogs would come in the ring. We had one when I started the Gateway show out in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. A woman was doing dock jumping and came in running up to the Springer ring, soaking wet. And she's in tears. You know, she was a crossover person, as we call them. She's in tears. Oh, I can't. Is he dripping on the floor? Well, a little bit. We'll just towel him off and bring him in. Why can't do that? No, we don't care about that stuff here. In fact, I wouldn't mind judging Springer's wet all the time. You know? So, Love it. So, and she came and she ended up winning the breed. It was a really nice one. So that's the kind of thing that would happen there all the time. And that spontaneity came official programs and things that worked out well and are still going strong. Thank you all for joining us. This has been part one of our episode. Watch this space. Part two will be coming up soon. Like the NPR of dogdom. Pure Dog Talk is here for you. To make sense out of everyday things. To add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box. To bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. One of my favorite events over the last year or so has been the virtual After Dark for patrons of the podcast. Anybody can join this amazing community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking the Become a Patron link on the homepage. While you're there zooming around on the site, you can check out our shopping tab, too. There's even a Pure Dog Talk swag link. Who knew? Share the love with all our cool gear. Check it all out at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 